Yeah. Sometimes we laugh and sometimes we cry, but I guess you know now. Guests appear Baby. on the Smile Center Hotline. Now back the to the Gabe Coon Show, live so from the Service Master by Cornerstone Studios on 92.9 FM ESPN. We took a trip, now we on your block, and it's like a ghost town. Baby, where did he be at when they said it? Back in on the Gabe Coon Show, 92.9 FM ESPN, and joining me now, as is customary on a Tuesday, that'd be senior writer and content creator for Bluff City Media, Christian Fowler. We have a podcast called the On the Bluff Podcast, releases every single Tuesday at noon. You can find it on Apple, Spotify, and the full-length video version on YouTube. Christian is on X, at C Fowler BCM. Christian, how's it going, man? How are you doing? Oh, just wonderful, Gabe. Just okay. wonderful. We're in the de- we're we're in the dead point of sports now. Do you know that? As, yeah. a, as a radio host, I'm sure you recognize. Yeah, I mean, you you just get outside of football season and it starts to slow down. Now, NFL draft. We know we know we know the NFL's year round. So the NFL draft and the combine and everything's about to speed up. Um, we're going to get into the off season. We're going to see free agency. So there is that. All star breaks coming up this weekend. So we're still. We're still we got we got some things to talk about. We don't need to a little we don't bit. need to completely tell my listeners, hey, tune out. You know what I mean, Christian? No, 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 right? Never, never. I mean, I would I would personally love to hear you only talk about the MLB every every day. <laughs> oh, really? We know, that, okay. we know that there will be baseball coverage coming up in the next couple months, and I mean, if you only talk MLB, I, I would still listen. So I encourage everyone to do the same. So in our in our our market, such a strange one for Major League Baseball, though, right? Because it's just such a melting pot. Yeah, we have a lot of Cardinals fans because of the Redbirds tie-in. St. Louis is only four hours up the road. But then you're always going to have Red Sox, Yankees, Cubs, and the Braves are coming along. It's just hard to sort of you know pinpoint exactly what you, who you need to be talking about during foot or during ba- uh, baseball season. My gosh, football, basketball, I finally got there. Baseball season. We're, we're, it's just a strange yeah. market for baseball. Don't know why anybody likes the sport anyway. Oh, re- oh come on, Christian. No, really? Is, are you exposing yourself right now? You, 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 can't, you, you are not a baseball fan. Cannot watch not Major even, League Baseball. No, I'd rather watch golf. I'd rather watch pretty much anything other than baseball. Well, did you, uh, did you, get, a, did you get a load of the waste management this weekend? This past weekend, I did. I caught. I, I, I caught a little <laughs> bit of it, but I'm. I'm about to be 26 years old. I've never watched a full baseball game from start to finish in my life, and I never will. Did you play baseball growing up? Nope. Really? Played one year. Played t-ball when I was five. That was only 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 baseball I ever played. Not a fan of the sport at all. Never will be. Not my cup of tea. Okay. Well, then let's just transition off of this. You may make some uh, some baseball purists mad. Uh, what do we think about the Super Bowl? What did we, what did we, what did we think about that final? 25-22, Chiefs get over top. They're great at situational football. Patrick Mahomes has three uh, Super Bowls in his first six years right there with Tom Brady. Tom Brady was three for three. He's three for four. I don't think it much matters, though. When you look at his pace and what he's been able to accomplish already, he is – I heard somebody, it was Michelle Smallman for our morning show here uh, for Unsportsmanlike, and she said – he is the goat in waiting. Uh, do you think that's a fair assessment of where he is at right this moment? Absolutely. I, I have said it for years. I'll continue to say it. He is the best player that's ever played professional football. Uh, and there's no doubt in my mind. I, I thought it early in his career. Obviously, you know, you don't want to say that too much because he, he wasn't very accomplished at that point in time. But 
now you you look around and only seven years into his career, six years as a starter, uh, he has three Super Bowls, three Super Bowl MVPs. He's basically on pace to shatter every passing record in NFL history. Um, what six-time Pro Bowler, three-time All-Pro, one-time Offensive Player of the Year. Nobody's ever done what he's done. And some people will, will say, "Oh, well, Tom Brady." Well, no, Tom Brady is not even close to what Patrick Mahomes has done in the same amount of time in their first 96 games. It's, it's it's really not that close other than the amount of Super Bowls that they've won. Every other statistic, Patrick Mahomes is by far and away better than Tom Brady, and that includes 7,500 more passing yards and 75 more touchdowns in that same time span. So no one's ever done this. This is as historic as it gets. And, you know, for so long we got used to – Tom Brady being inevitable, right? And yep. Patrick Mahomes is just as, if not more, inevitable than Tom Brady was. Mm. And, and I know, you know, we'll see how it plays out over the next several years. We can't necessarily project how it plays out. We know Tom Brady, after he won those first three in his first uh, 96 games, he went 10 years without winning another one. Went to two more, I believe, both losses against the Giants, but didn't win another one for 10 years. So, We'll see how it shakes out. Obviously, that's going to determine a lot. But at this point in time, like, he is up to this point in his career, like, the best player that, that's ever played. And talent-wise, I believe that. But even on just greatness level, overall achievement, no one has, has ever done what Patrick Mahomes has done in this amount of time. It, it is It truly is remarkable. I mean, he's... Is he tied for second all time in playoff wins? Or is yeah, he, he's tied for second with Joe Montana. Yeah, with Joe, Joe Montana. Mont- it's just it, you I have to something. laugh at some of these stats, though, Christian. Because through six years, Truthfully. at twenty-eight years old, it's nuts. It's like not even. It's not even remotely. No, I don't think anybody could have fathomed this when when Patrick Mahomes got drafted at number ten to the Chiefs. I don't think anyone no, could have even come close to thinking this was possible. No, he was what the was he the third quarterback drafted? I think, I think he was I, no. I think he was either second or third. He was he was behind Mitch Trubisky. Yeah, I, think, I think it was I think it was Trubisky, Mahomes, and then Deshaun Watson. Yes, that's what it was after Mahomes. Um, but no, no one could have even come remotely close to projecting this, especially on the heels of Tom Brady. Or honestly, the the two coincided. I mean, they played against each other in a Super Bowl. So we've never really seen anything like Tom Brady, and to go. Patrick Mahomes directly after him or during the same time that he was playing like no one no one can script that like you think about these great quarterbacks and let's let's stay like in the accomplishment field because I think we can get too nuanced with talent right but like you look at the 70s and it was Terry Bradshaw winning four Super Bowls and then you go to the 80s and it wasn't really nobody nobody it was had it was the Bears it was Jim McMahon right, right. it was something right. like that there, there wasn't really there wasn't really anybody in the 80s. You come go towards the latter half of the 80s, that's when you get the 49ers, Joe Montana uh, winning five rings. And, and then and you fast forward to Brady winning seven. You know, I mean, you, there were great quarterbacks in that time, but they didn't have the, the overall accomplishments of those guys. So those are kind of the three benchmarks. I know Bradshaw's talent wasn't nearly on par with those, but just from an accomplishment ring standpoint, you go from 70s to late 80s to early 2000s all the way uh, into the 20s, and you don't expect another one to come in the midst of that, but that's exactly what's happening. And so I know I, I said this last week, I've said this for the last few weeks, like there's been a lot of hatred 
towards the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes, and I, I get it to an extent. I know it's no one likes a winner with Travis Kelsey stuff, and then that on top of it, just the constant winning. It happened with the Patriots as well with their dynasty in the early 2000s. They were like the underdog story that everyone rooted for, and then by you know the 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 middle of the 2010s or the early 2010s, like everybody hated them. So I get it. It's the progression of success, and it's how it comes. But at the same time, like we we as a football community. Like, we have to understand how lucky we are that we get to witness these players. Like, in my lifetime, getting to witness all of Tom Brady's career and also get to witness Patrick Mahomes' career. Like, that's from just an objective football fan standpoint, like, that's pretty incredible that we get to witness that. Where are you at on a Chiefs three-peat? That's the real question. I think they have uh, $22 million and they could they could sort of move around some money and make it more in, in cap space. Um, they're gonna have to deal with a Legarius Sneed extension, potential Chris Jones extension going forward. They may try to go find a a, a real wide receiver for that wide receiver room. Uh, you know that sort of depends on what they think of Rasheed Rice going forward. But what do you think about a three peat? If Patrick Mahomes plays all seventeen regular season games, then to me the Chiefs are the Super Bowl favorite again. I'm honestly kind of surprised. You know the odds came out for next year's Super Bowl champion, and I think. The 49ers, 49ers. plus 450 or yep. plus 450 or plus 550, and then the Chiefs were second at plus 750. It's like, hey, what are we doing here? Like, I know it's unlikely. Like, it's never there's never been a a three P champion before, but we're really gonna bet against this guy. Like, we're gonna bet against Patrick Mahomes, who has done you know all the accomplishments that we've listed. No way. Like, if he plays all 17 games, regardless of what the rest of the roster looks like. Kansas City should be the Super Bowl favorites because look at what they did this year. This was by far the worst overall team, at least offensively, by far the worst team that Patrick Mahomes has played with. And guess what? When he had to figure it out, when they had to have offensive success, they did that. Like Even though the cupboard was pretty bare on that offense, in the playoffs, when they needed drives, when they needed points, whether that was against the Bills, uh, early in the game against the Ravens in the Super Bowl or, you know, kind of just the stretch of dominance for the whole game uh, against the Dolphins, they delivered every single time they had to. And that falls on the back of Patrick Mahomes because who else are you going to really point at? Uh, you you can't point at Rasheed Rice. I know Isaiah Pacheco played well. Travis Kelsey, arguably the, the greatest playoff weapon of all time with what he's done over the last several years, but still, like, it fell on number 15. If he didn't perform, then they don't have another Super Bowl championship. This was the most Superman-like performance he has been able to show because he didn't have, you know, um, he didn't have Tyreek Hill either last year, but that offense still operated more smoothly. But it was really him and a lot of guys that either wouldn't be on other NFL depth charts or, you know, maybe maybe not have a – like, you look at Justin Watson being the second leading receiver. <laughs> right. uh, MVS, not not much. Kadarius Toney shouldn't have a job. Sky Moore, who people had a lot of higher expectations for this year, wasn't even active for a big chunk of games this season. So, like, it was literally him, a 34-year-old tight end, and a rookie second-round wide receiver in Rasheed Rice. And that's what he had to work with, and he won a Super Bowl with that. So I'm never going to count out the possibility of the Chiefs winning a Super Bowl if Patrick Mahomes is healthy. And this this is the part that blows me away. Two months ago, this team I mean, I I look at after week from week eight on, they were five and five. Like they were they right. just did not look good. They did not look themselves. 
And this was a completely different way they were winning ball games. They were holding teams to you know under twenty points. That's what they were doing all year. They're second uh, second in scoring defense this entire year. Yet when they get to the playoffs, man, they're just so inevitable. Like I I was so wrong about this team. And I, I you know sometimes uh, you know uh, guys on the radio that do sports talk will not admit they're wrong. I, I will admit my wrongs. Because I corrected them before the Super Bowl, right? And I said, okay, I'm not, I can't, I can't even in my right mind pick against the Chiefs at this moment. I have to pick with the Chiefs. And if I end up losing, I'll feel fine about myself. But this team was five and five from week eight on. This team was not very good down the stretch of the season. Yet in the playoffs, they just somehow figured it out. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think they at one point lost uh, five of eight games. Um, they, they got beat pretty handily by the Raiders on, I think it was on Christmas Day or around. And Andy Reid has said, he apparently texted uh, texted Antonio Pierce and said, thank you. He said, thank you. They lost 20 yeah. to 14 in week 16. He said, he said, thank you because you guys punched us in the mouth and you taught us a lesson. And well, yeah, well, basically woke the team up and turned them into what they were down the stretch. But you look at the entire run as a whole, it's it, it just very improbable because this is not a team that looked like a very threatening team all year, especially when you look around the AFC and you look at, okay, the Ravens rolled pretty much all year. And Buffalo, once they fired Ken Dorsey and turned the offense over to Joe Brady, looked extremely impressive. The Dolphins, I know they were up and down, but it was one of those teams that, okay, they Number one they offense in really the NFL play. this year. So Right, right. <laughs> right. They can put up points in any, in any given time. And so it wasn't it wasn't one of these fluky things. Like sometimes, sometimes in the playoffs we see fluky teams make it because they catch fire at the right time, and then certain teams lose that maybe would have been a worse matchup. It just initially coming to mind like the '07 Giants or the Cardinals in 2008, I believe that went and played against the Steelers. That was an eight and eight team that wasn't some top tier team. Just matchups fell right for them. And that wasn't the case with the Chiefs. Like, they went through one of the hardest roads in the playoffs ever based off of metrics. And then you dig even deeper into that, and you go Patrick Mahomes, who had been to three Super Bowls, won two Super Bowls, played in six – this was his sixth consecutive AFC Championship game, had never played a road playoff game. And so then that's even more improbable because now you're asking this quarterback that's never played a road playoff game who is playing with the worst team of his career to go on the road and play probably two of the – five or six best teams in the league in Buffalo and in Baltimore on the road, hostile environments. And he, he, he just did the improbable. Yep. And I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to discredit what this defense did because it was incredible. Like this defense carried this team for the vast majority of the season. And even throughout the playoffs, they made big plays when it mattered. Uh, whether that was the Super Bowl, AFC Championship game, Bills games, they made big plays whenever they had to. But it's hard. But fifteen it, always it, it, has it, to it, put the finishing touches on it. That's what it. That's what it right, has to be right. for that team. Right. Because if we're if we're going to during this regular season, if we're going to if we're going to chastise Patrick Mahomes for the way that he's playing and the way that the offense is playing, then we also have to give him the most credit when things get turned around. Because he is he is that team. That team lives and dies by Patrick Mahomes and how he plays. Even if the defense is playing well, even if Travis Kelly, like it, it all starts and ends with fifteen. So the credit has to go there because without him, they they that that team is probably a four or five win team. Like truthfully, they're not good. They're not a good 
overall team. They're a good defense, but that offense would be a bottom five or six offense if anybody else was the quarterback. Mm-hmm. Now, tr- I truthfully believe that. Like, they just don't have a lot of talent, and he willed them to yet another Super Bowl at only 28 years old. Now, Spags, let's talk about Spags. He's now got four, uh, obviously the defensive coordinator for the Chiefs, That the, for, for those that don't know, Steve Spagnolo. But he's now got four Super Bowl wins, Super Bowl victories as a defensive coordinator. He uh, he broke the record for assistant coaching and, and defensive coordinators with those with those four Super Bowl wins. Is he is he the best defense coordinator we've seen of all time, or at very least, like when we talk about big game defensive coordinator, big game coach? Is he is he up there? Yeah, big big game defensive coordinator. There's there's no question about it. I mean, you think about what he did with the 2007 Giants team that I just referenced a second ago that wasn't a great overall team by any means and they played arguably the best team in NFL history in the undefeated Patriots and they shut down an offense that hadn't been stopped all year they held them to I think it was four I think that was a 17-14 game in that Super Bowl and Steve Spagnuolo deserves a ton of credit for that and what he did with that team then you look at this Chiefs team specifically and this is one of the youngest defenses in football Like, outside of Chris Jones and Justin Reed, there are hardly any veterans on this defense. These are all young guys that haven't played much, don't have much experience. And what he did schematically, um, just the nuance of knowing when to bring blitzes, knowing when to bring pressure, where to bring it it from, specifically going to um, that third and five towards the end of regulation. Yep. And you look at that and – the 49ers had every opportunity to put the game away right then. If they get that first down, it's pretty much game, set, match. They win the Super Bowl right there. And Steve Spagnuolo, in that critical time, brings a double corner blitz. And Trent McDuffie, uh, first-team all-pro, second-year corner out of right. Washington, comes free in between the guard and the tackle, knocks the ball down. Uh, 49ers have to settle for another long field goal. Then the Chiefs get the ball, go down, kick a field goal, send the game to overtime. Like there were so many pivotal points. Third, third, and four in OT and OT was pretty damn. I mean, I, listen, I know that the the Forty Niners had a backup right guard, and he went the wrong way and didn't block Chris Jones. But that's what Steve Spagnuolo does to you, right? He just makes you think too much. He he has your head yeah. spinning. Where is the splits coming from? Are they actually simulating it? Who's actually going to come? And that's that's where these offenses have a bunch of struggles. Yeah, because you get so used to in film study and stuff saying, okay, this is the scheme that we can expect. When we are in this situation, this is probably what's coming. But I think Steve Spagnuolo in his play calling is so indiscernible for what's coming. Now, he does a great job of disguise. He does a great job of mixing things up depending on situations, not only situations, but the team that he's playing and their strengths. Like he changes his system and his schemes a little bit based on the teams that they are playing against and the weaponry that they're playing against. And it makes them so unpredictable. And I also think that Chiefs team this year specifically, they're just so well coached, and then they're just smart. They just understand it. You look at the guys on that defense. Legereus Sneed, not a high pick, was one of the best corners in the league this year. Trent McDuffie, first-round pick last year, undersized. How is he going to pan out in the NFL? First-team All-Pro in his second year. Chris Jones, arguably the best defensive tackle in the league. You look at what he's done with these backers and Willie Gay and Nick Bolton, two guys that were – I think they were both second-round picks, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Nick Bolton out of Missouri, Willie Gay out of uh, Mississippi State. 
and both of them are very pivotal to this scheme with their athletic Forgot ability. To, how about Leo, Leo Chanel? I mean, Leo Chanel. Right. Yeah, he played a huge role in this game. I made a couple of big tackles, tackled for loss, blocked the extra point that completely changes the way that the game goes as far as you know being a, a touchdown game versus a field goal game. So it's just these players are so well coached, they're so smart, and they are used perfectly in the scheme. And I think that's what so many coordinators miss is they're trying to fit a uh, square peg into a round hole. But I think Steve Spagnuolo perfectly places the players that he gets into his scheme, and that's why you see it work so well. Yeah, and he gives them defined roles. That's that's what you have to do as a coach to really uh, get the most out of your group, and he absolutely did that this year. And going into next year, you should expect very similar things from that defense. Uh, as long as they can sign back Legereus Need, maybe get Chris Jones back as well, you should expect very similar. I, I, those corners, Legereus Need and Trent McDuffie, I, 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 may, I, this may be a little bit of a prisoner of the moment, conversation I'm about to have with you but I think that's probably the best one-two punch of corners we saw this entire season I, 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 it's, hard I, it's, it's hard to argue it's hard to argue the past defense was at the top of the league and those two were phenomenal all year yeah and and I know Legereus Need doesn't get a ton of credit uh, you just don't feel like he's talked about among the elite corners in the league but I really want to talk about Trent McDuffie because uh, like I, I kind of alluded to a minute ago yes he was a first round pick he has the first round pedigree but he's not really someone that a lot of draft analysts and stuff were excited about, right? He's an undersized corner, and it, it just was, where is he going to fit? Is he going to be able to play outside? Is he going to be a nickel guy? How long does it take him to adjust to the physicality of the game, to the speed of the game? And it felt like almost like Trent McDuffie was one of those consolation corners. And we see those every year because it's a position that's heavily reached on a lot of teams will draft corners higher than they're evaluated because it's such a premium position. And a lot of people kind of frame Trent McDuffie as that. Like, okay, yes, he had a good career at Washington, but is he really like a first-round pick? Like, is that the kind of caliber he is? And only in his second season, he was first-team All-Pro and, in my opinion, was the best slot corner in the league this year, despite being undersized. Like, he's not afraid to come up and tackle. And you look at, even if you look in a vacuum with what he did in the Super Bowl, like, there were – multiple times where he was asked to guard Debo Samuel one-on-one. And I don't think Debo Samuel is the best route runner in the world, but he is someone that if he gets the ball in his hand, he's extremely dangerous. And Trent McDuffie just never really allowed that to happen. So overall, you can definitely make a case for that being the best corner duo in the league because they they really propelled this defense to what they were because they allowed a really lackluster unit of pass rushers outside of Chris Jones, who we know as a defensive tackle isn't like, you know, you can only get so much pressure from the inside. They don't have a lot of elite edge rushers, any elite edge rushers. It's George Karloftis, Charles Amenahu. Like, they don't have some elite uh, defensive end unit that's getting after the quarterback every game. So, really, the credit for the defensive line falls on LeJarrius Seed and Trent McDuffie because there just weren't many openings in the passing game this year. Yep. For sure. Now talking with Christian Fowler at C. Fowler BCM. He's senior writer and content creator for Bluff City Media. We have to talk a little bit of Tiger basketball. They're coming off uh, one of their biggest wins of the year when they needed it, 90-78 to over Tulane, who they lost to earlier in the year on the road in New Orleans. Um, but I, I, I think it's very simple. Basketball is a very simple sport. Share the ball, don't turn it over, and play your best players. And when those best players get in the game, play like the best players. We've seen that from David Jones and Javon Quinterly the last three games on this win game, this three uh, three game win streak. 
it, it, it's it's a it's a very simple game when you really just sort of see it play out in front of your eyes. Yeah, absolutely. Especially for this team with how much talent they have, it's a very simple formula. Like take care of the ball. David Jones and Javon Quinterly play well. Keep your rotation relatively short. And like you said, when those guys are on the floor, play well. Yep. And when they do that, they they look like a good team again. And I know these weren't like astounding over the top wins that they've had in these last three games: Wichita State, Temple, Tulane games that they all you know you would all expect them to win, especially at the beginning of the season. Maybe not so much at this point, but these were teams that they're better than, they're more talented than, and they really were playing down the competition. And these last two games specifically, I know the Wichita State one was sketchy, a one-point win. But the Temple game was pretty controlled for the whole time. The Tulane game was controlled for the entire game. So uh, we've had a lot of negative things to say over the last couple weeks, and deservedly so. There wasn't really any positive to pull from. But it looks like, at least for the moment, that it is moving back in in the right direction. Like you mentioned, JQ... David Jones have both played really well over the last two games. The rotations have been cleaner and more meaningful. They've made more sense on when players were swapped out and put in. So overall, like I, I'm not ready to say that Memphis is going to win right. out and be a tournament team or, you know, like a hundred percent lock to be a tournament team. But you feel like better. That. You feel better. I feel much better, <laughs> yes. much, much better at this point than we did last week. Now, what do you think the likelihood is we know sort of what this team's going to be by Sunday? I mean, you have one on the road against North Texas. That's big. You have one on the road on Sunday against SMU. By Sunday, after that game, how, how, um, how much do you think we'll know? I think we'll know their future. Okay. I, I think we'll know if I think I think we'll know more than likely what the rest of the season looks like. I think we'll know more than likely if they will have an opportunity to be a tournament team without winning a conference championship. And honestly, you know, you look and you say, okay, North Texas, SMU, like those aren't super high quality opponents when you hear the names. But if you check ESPN's basketball power index, these are both games that Memphis is projected to lose. They have a 40% chance to beat North Texas, and I think it's a 20% chance yeah, to beat SMU. 80 to 20, that's wild on the road, the of course. Yeah. So if they come out and they win both of these games, then I feel much, much better. And every opportunity is there. Like, still, I know they're not projected to win these games, but still, Memphis is a better team on paper than both of these teams, North Te- North Texas specifically. Like, North Texas isn't really scaring me at 13 and 10. But SMU's been really solid. I still think Memphis is better on paper. So if they just go do the exact things that you listed out, that we just talked about, these are two very winnable games for them. It's not like they're playing some of the best teams in the country. They're playing teams that they're better and more talented than. So the games that they should win, but it'll tell us a lot. And it'll tell us a lot about where the confidence is at. It'll tell us a lot if they do get into one of those back and forth, like it's kind of a struggle, they're not playing their best. It'll tell us a lot about if Penny really is true on sticking to shorter rotations than his best players or if he kind of throws some other players in there and, and starts doing some more confusing things with the lineup. So I, I think these next two games are really, really pivotal for this team and they will tell us a lot moving forward about what the rest of the season could look like.
Now, what do you think about Jonathan Pierre? Uh, last couple of games, he got 15 minutes at Temple. He got 12 minutes at Tulane. He had 16 points combined in those two games. I think he was three for four from three in that Temple game. He was he struggled from the free throw line, but if without his his three point ball uh, being on, that game could have gone completely different, especially on the road. Uh, what do you think about him? Is he is he? Do you, do you expect him to continue to be a jolt for for this bench group for this bench unit, or or do you think this was a flash in the pan? I mean, Jonathan Pierre has always been very interesting to me because I think the physical ability isn't in question, and I don't think the ment- uh, that's not me like alluding to mental ability is or anything like that either. I think he's a super sharp kid. Well, you're going D two to D one. It's just just there's right. there's a natural. Exactly you know, progression you have to go through to be a productive player making that step. Right. And I think you had people looking at his stats last year and kind of disregarding the fact that this is a, it was a major jump from Nova Southeastern D2 level to high level division one basketball and expecting that, okay, okay. He came in early. He's going to get ingrained in the system and with his team and everything like that, like he'll be fine by the time the season rolls around he's still not catching any live bullets until that point. So that was kind of an unfair expectation if people thought he was going to be ready to be a top contributor early in the season. But it it, it makes sense. This is a kid that grew, I think it was seven or eight inches in high school. He wasn't productive his first year at D2, wasn't in the starting lineup his second year in D2. The only reason he ended up being in the starting lineup was due to injury. And that's when he kind of took off. And so, and Jonathan Pierre has always kind of been this developmental prospect as far as it's going to take him time. It took him time at the D2 level. It's going to take him time at the D1 level. So I think it's very encouraging because we really hadn't seen anything at all from him up until the last two games. And it's like, if it clicks, if it clicks for him, he could absolutely be a contributor on this team. Like this could be something that we see for the rest of the season because he has a dynamic skill set. He's a good shooter. He's long. He brings leaps. He's athletic. Like there's a lot of there's a lot of positives to having a player like Jonathan Pierre on the floor if he knows what he's doing, if he knows his assignments, if he knows where he's supposed to be, if he feels comfortable, you know, being in those situations at this point in his career. So I I kind of with it being a two game sample with the with the amount of comfortability that he showed compared to the other times we had seen him this year, I would like to say that he can be someone that can chip in 10 to 15 minutes a game throughout the rest of the season and give you a spark off the bench if you need someone to come in and add shooting. But that's another one of those things we'll have to wait and see because we just don't know. It could be one of those flash in the pans where it's like, okay, this was, it just got hot for a couple games and he's not ready yet. But I just know, I know how hard he works, and I know how smart of a kid he is. And just, I guess that part of me wants to say that he is going to be able to add something to this team for the rest of the year. Yeah, now, final thing here we get to a little bit of Memphis football. Um, how about Bell Kuyper throwing uh, Blake Watson on his uh, top sleepers in the 2024 NFL draft? Very good in the East West Shrine Bowl, good in the Hula Bowl. Uh, Mel Kuyper, this was his write-up. He said he's the kind of guy you can move around, you can get him on jet sweeps, and you can put him in the slot. Blake Watson's an interesting guy. He can be versatile and has the hands to make spectacular catches. Former wide receiver, turned running back with kick return skills. All those things add up to be a heck of a possibility. Um, I did see, I don't think he got the official invite to the combine. We'll see what sort of happens between now and then. Um, but Blake Watson, what do you? What, how much do you like him at the next level? 
Yeah, this is something that you and I have talked about. I feel like we started relatively early in the season saying, like, hey, Blake Watson's a pro. Don't know when he'll be drafted. Don't know what his NFL career will look like. But he's a, he's a pro. Like, he's really good at a lot of things. So, I do. I think he can be someone that if he gets in the right system with the right coaches that know how to use weapons like that, I think he can be very productive because he is very versatile. Someone that can catch the ball, someone that can run the ball, someone that can return if that kind of player falls with the right coaching staff that's going to put him in situations to succeed, I think he can be productive in the NFL. Like I'm not projecting him to be like some superstar pro bowl caliber player, but I think he absolutely can be a contributor. Someone that comes in, change of pace guy, gadget guy. Like I definitely think that there's a role for him in the NFL because that's what the NFL is going to is, is more of these players, that you say, okay, maybe he doesn't have a defined position. Like, he's obviously not a three-down back. He's obviously not a split-out wide receiver. But he's talented. He's smart. He's good with the ball in his hands. So we got to find ways to get him involved. And I think if he goes to that right situation, he can absolutely be productive. I hear that. Well, Christian, I appreciate it, man. Thanks for hopping on. We'll do it again next week. Yes, sir. See you all next week. Yes, sir. That's Christian Fowler at C. Fowler BCM on X, senior writer and content creator for Bluff City Media. We also have a podcast. Every Tuesday at noon is when it releases. It's the On the Bluff podcast, Spotify, Apple, full-length video version on YouTube. Now, we're going to stick right here when we get into the Blitz coming up here next. And I want to talk about Blake Watson being named a top sleeper on Mel Kuyper Jr.'s big board. Um, what, what, does, what does the next level look like for him? What type of role can he be slotted into? I'll answer those questions next.